Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with Lions.com, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Kelly Ford. Kelly, welcome back. We're talking Saturday football. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brett. Anytime we're talking college football Saturdays, it's a good time, and uh, we're moving our way through this season. There's lots to get to, so let's do it, man. Yeah, before we get into it, though, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter at the Lines US. I am at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at KFord Ratings. We'll be here every single week breaking down the college football slate as well as individual weeknight games. If you're looking for the weeknight slate, that's posted on our YouTube. Dive back and go find it. Uh, look, we've got a very interesting slate on tap, I think. Maybe not as marquee as we've seen last week or a couple of weeks ago, but the big matchups this week are big. Like, enormous conference implications, college football implications. Kelly, I know you've got all the numbers on those. I'm looking forward to seeing how a lot of these uh, matchups shape the landscape of college football. The first one being Iowa State on the road at Cincinnati. The Bearcats at home are five-and-a-half-point favorites, and this game carries an over-under of 45-and-a-half points. I thought this game was really interesting. I really wanted to include it. And it does kick off at noon Eastern on FS1. And I think it's interesting because outside of Texas and Oklahoma, the Big 12, in my opinion, is both bad and also objectively wide open. Uh, we talked about West Virginia on the podcast uh, just the other day and uh, how they could have a direct path to Arlington to be in the Big 12 championship. I think the middle group of teams that we have here, I only have them separated by about a point. I don't know about you, uh, about four to nine, I think I have in, in just a point. And that includes both Cincinnati and Iowa State. Now, we could be dealing with some breeze, maybe not super strong wind, but it's going to be breezy, and it has rain chances uh, that will be tapering off as the afternoon goes on. Cincinnati comes in this game with the rest advantage. They last played on Friday night in Week 5, and Iowa State was at home beating TCU last week. Nipper Stadium, in my opinion, I've been there. It is an underrated home environment. It's very loud. The fans are right on top of the field. The way the structure's built just sucks noise in, traps noise in. It's a very difficult place to play, and I don't know that maybe the casual college football fan realizes that all that much, but it, it sure is. In Cincinnati, though, they're on a three-game losing streak. Their lone FBS win this year was over under-delivering Pitt. Uh, as I've talked about in here, very disappointing team so far this year. But they probably could have won their last game against BYU. They threw a pick six. They turned over on downs with BYU 35. Like There were opportunities from the win, but they also lost to Miami of Ohio, who's, don't get me wrong, 5-1, and one, very good MAC team. But that, to me, seems like it was a, a look-ahead spot to the Oklahoma game the following week. Iowa State is winless on the road uh, this year, 0-2. Their losses came at Oklahoma, which could be excusable, and Ohio. So these teams share a little bit of losing to the MAC East heavyweights here. Rocco Beck, the quarterback in those games, threw four interceptions and fumbled the ball away. He only has one pick, no fumbles when he plays at home so far this year. But the offense has improved over the last couple of games, scoring 27 points per game over the last three versus just 20 points total in their first two FBS contests coming against Iowa and Ohio. The Cincinnati front has been really good against the run. We knew that coming into this year. They're 17th in rushing success rate allowed. Dante Corleone, if you don't know the name, get familiar. He's an All-American candidate. He dominates in the middle. Deshaun Pace, the linebacker, I believe brother of Ivan Pace, the, uh, the All-American, has been extremely good at cleaning up on the backside. Linebacker Jack Dingle and Corleone are both, are both top 10 in run stop rate in Big 12. So we're talking about a really good duo here. Uh, they should be able to combat the Cyclones rushing attack pretty effectively, I think. And Iowa State's been really inefficient in the run game. Look, they're 128th in rushing EPA. Uh, their lead back, Cartavius Norton, he's only going for three and a half a carry. He has no touchdowns on the year. And Becht is far from a world beater himself. But he is bottom three in pressure to sack rate. So you can get to him, but teams haven't been getting him down. Now, something has to break here because Cincinnati's front is very good at rushing the passer. Yeah, Brett, uh, you mentioned Texas and Oklahoma. This is their conference for at least one more year here. Um, I agree with you that the middle of the pack here, I don't really know. I had expectations about how these newcomers would do into the Big 12, the four new members this year. Cincinnati, I had concerns about. Um, and honestly, it's been a bit of a weird season for Cincinnati. Um, they got off to a 2-0 and start with a good win over what we thought was a good pit team. But maybe the Panthers aren't very good after all. Actually, then they lost as big favorites to Miami of Ohio. They held then number three, now number two, power-rated Oklahoma to a season-low 20 points in a loss. 
and then lost at BYU before entering their off week. So it's been hit or miss for Cincinnati in particular. This game, for me, has a watchability score of 7.2, so that's pretty good, like you said, intriguing. I do have Cincinnati in this game by 2.5. It's a 58% win expectancy for the Bearcats. At 2-3, and three, though, Cincinnati is nearly a game behind schedule relative to my preseason realistic expectations. And again, I didn't even have that high of expectations for Cincinnati. I thought they might struggle a little bit in their transition year. But from a win-loss perspective, they're a little bit behind where I thought m- maybe they'd be. So they're number 46 in the power ratings, still assigning a 62% chance to go bowling. That's actually seven points higher than it was in the preseason. So um it's not all loss for Cincinnati. They've had some weird results so far. Moving forward, I think they can still get to where they want to go, and that is bowling here in year one. For Iowa State, the model's been pretty dialed in. Uh, the Cyclones are number 47 overall with the third best defense in the Big 12. That's number 22 nationally. Um, the issue, though, like it is across the state in Iowa City, it's the offense. Uh, I don't know what it is about not being able to play offense in that state, but these two programs really struggle. The Cyclones have the Big 12's worst offense at grades out at number 88 nationally. In the end, that plus this game being in Cincinnati, as you mentioned, plus Cincinnati being fresh coming out of their off week is what makes the difference for the model uh, in this game. I mentioned it, Texas and Oklahoma, they're the clear favorites in the Big 12. Because of that, there's negligible conference championship game leverage in this one. Bottom line, I have Cincinnati minus 2.5. It's a 42% chance that Iowa State earns the road win and keeps the Bearcats winless in conference play. Yeah, I... The numbers that we have right now, mostly dead numbers. So if you're going to look to bet a, a side, I'd probably wait and see because uh, you have a little bit of the luxury of patience. We're talking about a lower total conference game. I know it's on the road. I know they have a rest disadvantage. I, I probably lean Iowa State with the points. I wouldn't go as far as to say I believe that they win outright. I think Cincinnati wins a game. But I think I would have to take Iowa State with the points if I'm betting a side. But I think I have a bigger lean on the total. And and this is a total that's been bet way down to the point where I actually think playing back the over is in play here. Because I do believe that Iowa State's offense has improved over the last couple of games. I don't think what they showed in weeks uh, two and three specifically. They played Northern Iowa in week one, good FCS team. But I, I think they're decent enough to where 45, especially if we get a 45 flat, that's pretty low. Look, a lot of totals early this week got hit because of impending weather, but I, I'm, I'm stealing a line from Brad Powers. I, this is not an original thought, so I have to give credit to him. That if you Nobody can predict the weather six days out. Nobody can predict the weather four days out. So if you have a model that can do that, you're in the wrong business. Go predict the weather forecast, right? I, I'm going to play off that because what if it comes and the weather is not all that bad? It looks like it's going to be breezy but not hurricane-force winds. Is They're not anticipating uh, complete, uh, you know, washouts, maybe just steady rain. I, yeah, I, I think I'm going to play back that over. I, I, I really do. If I get a 45, you could be sure that over, uh, over that number will be on my card for this game. <clears throat> Moving forward, but staying, well, involving the great state of Ohio, my home state. Number three, Ohio State on the road as 19 and a half point favorites at the Purdue Boilermakers, your Purdue Boilermakers, your alma mater. This game carries an over-under of 49.5 points, and it kicks off at noon Eastern on Peacock. So I won't be watching the game, very sadly. Uh, I tried to sign up for a free trial, but but they axed that in the fall. So is what it is. I guess I'll catch up on the highlights later. Look, it's expected to be windier in West Lafayette than it is in Cincinnati. But again, keep an eye on that. No one knows up, honestly, till even the day of sometimes. And there is a potential for rain, of course, as this big front sweeps through the central and eastern U.S., Ohio State running back Trevion Henderson. He missed last week. He is expected back this week. And boy, did the Buckeyes miss him. They had some trouble running the football against Maryland. And Maryland has been pretty solid defending the rush this year. But in, in, my, in my estimation, it was kind of inexcusable and that they really could have used the explosiveness of Trevion Henderson. If he doesn't go, Chip Trainum's the main guy. We saw a little bit of Mayan Williams as the game went on. That was later on. Uh, he, he removed somebody from the football field somebody's cleats from the football field on, on an absolute man run. Uh, that, was, that was pretty funny to watch. But look, the issue I have with Kyle McCord right now is that he's staring down his pass rush and he's missing open guys. 
There's opportunities when he gets the football of guys finding space, maybe 10, 12, maybe even eight yards past the line of scrimmage, but he's too busy looking at who's coming at him and looking at his line that he's missing these guys. That's something previous Ohio State quarterbacks have not done. If he's not chucking it up and downfield to Marvin Harrison Jr., there's not really much to get excited about on this offense. And that, Who would have thought that we'd have been talking about that, about this Ohio State offense? I think that's inexcusable for the amount of weapons that they have in the backfield, out wide. Cade Stover is even one of the better pass-catching tight ends in the country. So the offensive line, I, I understand why he's looking at the rush because the offensive line has been very good this year, particularly with tackles. The San Diego State transfer, Josh Simmons, he's been particularly terrible, I think. Uh, no no uh, confidence in, in the left tackle there. Defensively, Ohio State generates pressure with Jack Sawyer and JTT, but they're not finishing with sacks. They're getting to the quarterback and around the quarterback, but they're not bringing the quarterback down very often and causing a lot of havoc. On the other side, Devin Mockaby, explosive running back for Purdue. He's very effective when he plays and when they give him the ball, but he has at least one fumble in four of six games this season. He had three against Syracuse. Uh, between him and Hudson Card, they had seven combined fumbles in that game. Look, if Purdue turns the ball over, that's it. They're toast. That, that, it's going to be an Ohio State runaway if they're not going to be able to take care of the football. Hudson Card, the, the experience has been something. He has 11 turnover-worthy plays and 10 drops from his receiving core, so perhaps... It's a little bit of give and take with him, uh, but he is the second most pressured quarterback in the Big Ten, and that's certainly not going to change on Saturday. He's also the second most blitzed quarterback in the Big Ten. He has seven turnover-worthy throws when he's blitzed, which is the most nationally, and he's going up against Jim Knowles, a.k.a. collegiate Dr. Heat, who loves to bring exotic blitzes and fronts. You can expect more of that on Saturday. I would hope Ohio State doesn't look ahead, given their not-so-distant history at ross Stadium, but... Penn State's on tap, so who knows? Yeah, Brett, I'm going to get to that in a second. I'm going back to what you said about Peacock. So I've had Peacock since really it came out. I'm a big Leicester City supporter from the English Premier League or formerly the Premier League. The one good thing about Leicester being relegated, and I do mean the only good thing, was I was like, hey, at least I can cancel my Peacock subscription. Well, then we got all these college football games on there now, so I'm like, well, I guess I'm getting Peacock back, and I'm paying 250 bucks to watch Leicester because their games, unless they're on ESPN+, Plus, aren't on, aren't on TV in the U.S., so it's been a wreck for me trying to keep up with everything, all the services, but hey, I have Peacock. I'll be watching this game because, like you said, Brett, I call this the Kelly Ford Bowl. Uh, by now, you, you said it. Everyone knows. Um, undergrad degree from Purdue. Boilers are my number two squad. Ohio State has always been my number one. It goes back to before I can even remember. Uh, people say, well, why didn't you go to Ohio State? Well, I wasn't going to play football or watch college football. I was going to get a degree, right? And so in-state, Purdue, engineering, it made sense. Uh, the average fan, Brett, you touched on this, might think it's worked out pretty well for me, being an Ohio State fan. You know, oh, you're no trouble with Purdue ever. The truth is the Boilers have given the Buckeyes fits recently, especially in West Lafayette. Purdue's won three of the last four and five out of the last eight against Ohio State. In Ross Aid. That includes 2011, Brett, when I was a freshman. I was pledging a fraternity. I was decked out in Ohio State gear oh, in no. the in the in the Purdue student section. <laughs> I wasn't gonna let it change me. And then Purdue won the game. They rushed the field. I put my head down. I walked back to my dorm. Next time I went to the house was not a good experience for me. <laughs> uh, but hey, long term, I think we gained some respect. Short term, it was a brutal time to be Kelly Ford at Purdue. Uh, that's for sure. But basically what I'm saying, Brett, is what you said. The Buckeyes better not be looking ahead to Penn State next week. They'd be forgiven because of how big that game is. But you can't overlook the, the Boilermakers at ross given the history here. Ohio State has one of the best resumes in the country. They're ranked number three in my most deserving metric. Only a 21% chance the average top 25 team would be 5-0 and against that schedule. That's number three nationally. Ohio State's outscoring its opponents by 11.5 points per game, more than would be expected of the average top 25 team against their schedule. That's number five nationally. So Ohio State's done a great job to this point building a resume. I have Ohio State minus 23 in this game. It's a 95% win expectancy. For as good as Ohio State's resume is, Brett, from a ordinal rank perspective the Buckeyes have been even better in the power rating side they grade out number one overall for the fourth straight week Ohio State boasts the number six defense and the number 10 offense although it must be said you touched on this that's the lowest the offense has ranked all season after starting the year number one they quickly lost that standing to USC but they've been dropping consistently in the weeks that have followed for Purdue a 2-4 and four record, disappointing, uh, because my preseason realistic expectations projected closer to 3-3 three and three at this point. The Boilers have fallen almost a point and a half in the power ratings as both the number 68 offense and number 71 defense have fallen double-digit spots now since the preseason. 
Catching Ohio State and Michigan out of the East is brutal for Purdue. Uh, Their chances to go bowling are down from 39% in the preseason to just 16% currently. The West is a two-team race between Wisconsin and Iowa. Uh, And while a win for Ohio State doesn't improve their standing in the East, when you have a 95% win expectancy, winning's not really going to help you based on the projections. A loss would be devastating for the Buckeyes. It would drop them to just a 14% chance to make it to Indy for the first time since 2020. Bottom line, I have Ohio State minus 23. It's 5% chance that the spoiler makers, as people affectionately call them, break the Buckeye hearts once again. I don't know whether the the time slot here helps or hurts Purdue. Uh, on one hand, it, is it is it a new is it noon or eleven a.m. over there? That's right it's, near the border. It's it's noon. We're still Eastern okay. time here in West it's, Lafayette. Okay, it's it, it's it's noon. You you think that hurts? Because to me, the, it, I would be more intimidated if it were a night environment. But at the same time, a lot of times those noon kickoffs can be sleepy and and favorites can stumble if it's not that juiced. I, yeah. I think I think night in Ross Aid. I mean, think about 2018. It was at night. Prior yeah. to that, it was it was during the day because prior to that, Ross Aid didn't have lights, so there weren't night games there. Oh like when I'm talking about these other upsets that Purdue had yeah. over Ohio State. Um, but the 2018 one, kind of the most classic, the most recent one, was at night. Rondale Moore, of course, goes off. I'll never forget watching that game. I'm sitting here yeah. in the basement, like. Dang, what is happening to Ohio State? And my dad's cheering because he's rooting for Purdue right next to me. And I'm like, you need to go away. Like, So anyway, yeah, I think it hurts Purdue's chances. But I hear your point. Ohio State could be a little sleepier at noon. I think Purdue might be too, though. I, we'll see. Fair. Okay. Um, look, I'm hoping for a Buckeye cover here for, for one reason, and it's definitely not the reason everybody's staring at my Ezekiel Elliott jersey is thinking <laughs> – this is so that I can come back and bet Penn State next week. If Ohio State loses, that line's going to be a lot different. I'm worried about this Buckeye team playing playing Penn State and Michigan this year. I don't think they beat either. So give me a good win, a good cover here, and I'll come back and bet the points of Penn State. Now, what you just said about ross Aid Stadium, maybe this knocks down my confidence a little bit on this, but I actually do have a bet in this game, and it's Purdue first half plus 10.5. You know, it's noon, like I said, sleepy, road game. Uh, Ohio State started slow a, a number of times this year, most recently just last week against Maryland. That was ugh, bad. Final score is not indicative of how that game went. Maryland controlled the game for the first two and a half quarters. It was dead even for three quarters, and Ohio State talent won out. Look, I, I don't trust Ohio State's offense to, to fully steamroll teams. I really don't. Purdue's got enough explosive potential in their offense to maybe even get ahead uh, in that first half, but this is what's I think they're going to eventually grind them down and win out with talent. I don't know that Ohio State's really in danger to lose this game, but the way that they've come out in games, the way that I, the concerns that I have about their offense, even with Trey Henderson back, uh, yeah, Purdue first half plus ten and a half. That that's the bet that I have on this game. Moving forward, we have BYU at TCU. This is indeed a conference game in the Big Twelve. TCU is now a six-point home favorite, and this game has an over/under fifty-two and a half points. It kicks off at three thirty p.m. Eastern on the main ESPN channel. I'm glad it's on there because I think this game is going to be fascinating. Obviously, your Washington, Oregon is probably going to be getting the big screen, but keep an eye on this game. I think we're going to learn a lot about both teams. TCU starting quarterback Chandler Morris is out. Uh, potentially for a long time. I, I, it doesn't sound like he's going to be out for the season, but that's not out of the cards. And in my estimation, I think there's a big drop-off to Josh Hoover, the backup. He's, he's a big-arm kid, but he's not as mobile. He, he's not very big himself, and he's been a liability, man. Drops, snaps, interceptions, fumbles, like a high density of havoc plays he's caused in a very small amount of snaps played for TCU. Not great there. I'm not sure the market's really caught up to how bad this TCU team is, and that's indicative of the fact that – they were minus four and a half, and now they're minus six. I, I don't get it, personally. They're poorly coached, uh, particularly in short yard situations. The, the Kendall Bryles thing is not working out at all. They brought in somebody with baggage, and he's not even delivering. That That's concerning to me. Uh, special teams, they've been missing field goals, even though they have an all-Big 12 preseason kicker. Whoops on that one. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe it's mental. But, look, I've also been hearing I, – I, I write for a TCU Sports Illustrated Fan Nation site on the side. It's one, one of my gigs that I do. The people there are very plugged in. The people there are saying that a lot of the, the, the players, they're not bought in. They're, the coaching staff is starting to lose the locker room. They don't have a lot of confidence in this team. That, that's just what I'm hearing. I, wow. I'm not going to say that that's absolutely for sure. You know, We're not the beat for TCU, but there's people that go to practice every day. And, and that's who year, I'm talking to. One year after playing in the national championship game. That's kind of Yeah, I, I don't know that's necessarily losing faith in Sonny Dykes more than it is in, hey, we brought in Bryles, who was at our arch rival, 
whose father was involved in heinous things, one of the biggest controversies in college football history, scandals in college football history, and, and now we bring him in and he's not getting the job done. I kind of get it. Either way, back back to the football stuff. TCU is a big-time beat-themselves team. They've been favored in every game this year, but they're 3-3. Three and three. They've lost as a double-digit favorite twice and just recently about a touchdown favorite at Iowa State. BYU has not played since Friday night in Week 5, and that was at home. And TCU's just coming back, limping from the barn from at Ohio State last week. So big-time rest advantage in this game, even though BYU is on the road. And look, this is kind of fun. I actually didn't know this one. I, I learned this one recently. BYU and TCU had a pretty spirited rivalry when they were Mountain West Conference foes back in the mid-2000s before TCU left for the Big 12, and BYU went for independence. Longtime fans of TCU football, actually, look, they carry some animosity and fire for BYU. So I, I think this game's going to be a little bit more interesting than maybe most expect here. Not many teams are worse at rushing the football, though, than BYU. They're 132nd in rushing success rate this season. They're only going for 2.4 carry. Uh, but this defense has taken a huge step forward. They were one of the worst units in the country last year. Big hat tip to Jay Hill. They brought him up from Weber State. He's done an absolutely tremendous job with this defense. What do your numbers say? Yeah, Brett, this one has a watchability score of 7.5, and with that comes a top 15 game of the week billing. Uh, one year after TCU was by far my number one biggest overachiever, the Horned Frogs are now my number four biggest underachiever relative to preseason realistic expectations and it's not like I had wildly unrealistic expectations for this team I projected eight and four I to me that that, that's reasonable for a team that probably wasn't talented enough to go 12 and 0 last year they they did they deserved it they should have been there they knock off Michigan in the CFP great year I'm not taking that away from if you play that season you know 100 times a thousand times 10,000 times like we do in the analytics world it probably doesn't end up 12 and 0 too often but the one time we did it it did at 3 and 3 this year TCU is already nearly two games behind my expectations with the toughest part of their schedule still to come that for me really begins next week though and this one I have TCU minus seven and a half it's a 71% win expectancy TCU's power rating is down more than a field goal compared to the preseason their regular season win total is down from 7.9 to 5.5 that minus 2.4 is among the 10 largest decreases nationally from preseason projected win total to current Um, it's just it's not been good for TCU this year and that's it's sad because they're coming off such an amazing year last year, and we knew they weren't going to replicate that, but I was just expecting a better win-loss record to this point so far. They still have time. They can still turn it around. Um, all of that said, the offense for TCU is still number 34. The defense is still number 44. Both of those unit ranks are better than BYU's corresponding unit ranks on the other side. So while BYU's units aren't projected to be quite as strong as their counterparts in this game, you mentioned it, Brett, the Cougars have the advantage of coming out of their off week. Um, And while my numbers project BYU to be favored in only one remaining game, that's by one and a half points at home against Iowa State in week 11, with four wins already on the board, there's a 71% chance that this team goes bowling. Not bad for a team that my model thought uh, might have a tough transition year into the Power 5 ranks from the independent status last year. Texas and Oklahoma are the clear favorites of the Big 12. I've talked about that before. Because of that, there's negligible conference championship game leverage in this one as well. Bottom line, TCU minus 7.5 is what my model has. 29% chance that BYU earns their first Big 12 road win in program history. And yeah, Brett, it would be pretty sweet, I guess, given the, uh, the somewhat animosity that's still there from the old Mountain West Conference days for these two teams. Yeah, look, I, just a little peek behind the curtain. The way that I get my numbers, and I don't, I don't model-based bet. I just use it as, as, a, as a guideline. I aggregate power ratings. I aggregate yours. I aggregate FPI, SP, a whole bunch of ones that I, that I wrap into a nice, neat package. And because of that, and they're proven models, I don't do much manual adjusting at all. Because I'm like, Dave, these are proven models. Who am I to, to, to go against you know, what your numbers are saying here? I manually adjusted TCU. I docked them six points. I really do. I, I really do think that the difference between Chandler Morris and Josh Hoover is significant. I don't see a lot of juice with this team. I, very few times do I manually derate teams or improve teams. TCU is one of them because I, I don't, you know, at this point they were saying the, the, the aggregated power ratings had them fourth uh, best in the Big 12. I'm like, they're not the fourth best Big 12 
team right now. I don't project that going forward, so I, I did manually derate them. BYU is not really a team that beats themselves. A few penalties, few turnovers. TCU's the opposite. Uh, you know they're going to have to play a very sound game to even win this game, in my opinion. That's something I have not seen from them at all this year. I took BYU plus five earlier in the week. Market didn't agree. Uh, kind of surprised on that front, but I'm going to tell you why. I think they're live to win this game outright on the road. Um, you know, TCU's came off a, a couple bad losses, bad play calling, poor coaches, and then they lose a the starting quarterback. Situationally, just a nightmare for TCU. Okay, moving forward to the big, I think this is the biggest game of the week. Uh, some people may disagree, but there's a couple of candidates. This is, this is one I think has, has, is most fascinating. Number eight, Oregon, on the road at number seven, Washington. The Huskies are three-point home favorites, and this game carries an over-under of 67.5 points. Kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC, and it, it is, of course, College Game Day's pick to be at for this week. Uh, they first met in 1900. This is the 115th total meeting among the most in the country. Washington leads the all-time series 61-48-5, but Oregon is 15-3 outright since 2004. There is rain expected. We are talking about Seattle, Washington, the fall guys, but there's not much wind, so I don't think that there's going to be many elemental impacts on here. Something that is an impact, though, star wide receiver Jalen McMillan has missed the last two games with an injury. He's reportedly ready to go coming off the bye but just keep an eye if he's hobbled, if he's a step slow, if he's on a snap count. That's why Washington has plenty of other weapons on their team. I said it last week. If you're looking to take a national championship future on either of these teams, be it Oregon or Washington, now's the time to do so. Don't wait for this game to play out. Call your shot and make that future bet now. I actually bet Washington myself to win the title a couple of weeks back at a pretty nice price. Uh, and the same goes for the Heisman markets too. Penix, Knicks, if you're looking to get ahead of it, bet it now. Don't wait for the game to play out. This is truly an elite a battle between two elite teams. Oregon is number one in EPA margin on the year. Washington is number two. Shout out to Dr. Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter, one of the best followers all over Twitter. Uh, I do use a lot of his numbers in the handicapping, so I always appreciate the assist there. The worst unit in this game, though, is by a long shot, is Washington's run defense or 101st in success rate. And Oregon so happens to be number one success rate on offense rushing the football. So a big lopsided thing there. I think there's a big-time opportunity for Bucky Irving, for uh, Bo Nix himself. No, Whittington's out for the season, so they, they won't have him as the kind of number two punch there. But they got plenty of other guys. And, and check, th this is just a little nugget that I love. Oregon offensive tackle Johnny Cornelius came in from Rhode Island. He was a transfer, one of the most coveted tackles in the portal. And through... Six weeks, they play five games, but six weeks, he's one of two tackles in the nation with no pressures allowed. That is absolutely impossible if you're a tackle allowing zero pressures. He is an elite football player. He'll be getting plenty of Braylon Trice, I'm sure, on the other side and some of that Washington front. The Huskies are 128th in sack rate. Again, the, the, this has been an issue for a couple of years. It's sub 3%. On the other side, though, Oregon's very improved. They're fourth in sack rate. Penix is going to have to get the ball out a lot quicker than he has been. He's been about 2.7, I think, on average time to release. He's going to have to be a little bit quicker on that to avoid this pass rush. But uh, to really boil it down just to the basics, I think I like Michael Penix in the pack passing attack better than I like Oregon here. Uh, there's a reason I took their future instead of Oregon. Yeah, Brett, you said it. Uh, with a watchability score of 9.8 out oh. of 10. Yeah, out of 10. This is my number one game of Week 7. It's the number six game of the entire regular season now at this point. Uh, it has the potential to be the game of the year in the Pac-12, especially with both teams being well-rested coming off of their off weeks here. Let's start with the resumes. I have Washington number 10 in my most deserving rankings, only a 39% chance that the average top 25 team would be 5-0 and against that schedule. That's number 10 nationally. Huskies are outscoring their opponents by 12.7 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 team. That's number four nationally. Oregon's number 12 in the most deserving rankings. They have the number 14 record achievement, the number two relative scoring margin. They're outscoring their opponents by 15.4 points per game. More than would be expected. Only Oklahoma has a better relative scoring margin than the Ducks. The winner in this one is only going to boost their resume further um, by collecting a win against a top 10 power rated team. Again, that's how we build resumes. Your opponent's power rating, not their ranking. The loser really won't be hurt too much in the most deserving rankings because the average top 25 team wouldn't have a great win expectancy against either one of these teams because they are so good. Predictively speaking, I have this as a pick em. Uh, It's the slightest of leans to Oregon. Uh, it's a 52% win expectancy. Kind of like what I said last week, the model was liking Oklahoma by a point and a half. I kind of thought in my gut, maybe Texas was the better team. I went with the model. It worked out in that case. 
This game gives me similar feels, though, where the model... This one's truly a pick em, but it's a 52% win expectancy for Oregon. In my gut, I kind of think, and maybe it's because the game's at Washington, I kind of think Washington might win this game, but the model saying a pick em with a lean to Oregon. So that's what we'll roll with for, for official stances. Um, these two teams are eerily similar, Brett. They have amazing offenses led by Heisman-level quarterbacks with defenses that are much better than expected, uh, at least relative to my expectations coming into the year. The Ducks are currently power rated at a season-best 23.7. That's number six nationally. The offense has been top six all year. They're currently number four, while the defense is up to a season-best number 18. Washington's been in the top 10 of the power ratings for the past month. They're currently number nine. The offense remains number two for the third consecutive week behind only conference foe USC, while the defense has been in the mid-20s for five weeks in a row. Now, we talked about it. This game is in Seattle. This is one of my favorite venues in all of college football. I absolutely love when that siren is blasting on third down, fourth down. Like, I get chills, like, thinking about it and listening to it, and I'm not a Washington fan. I'm not a Washington hater. I'm I'm neutral when it comes to Washington, but I love when they get that siren going. Something about being up in the Pacific Northwest, I don't know. It's a huge advantage for the dogs, and that's it very well could come down to the home field or which offense has the ball last? Like That's what this game could ultimately be with how good these offenses are. The winner of this game will be in the pole position, of course, to make the conference championship game. Oregon would have an 87% chance to make it to Las Vegas, while Washington would have a 76% chance to make it with a win. The loser will fall to third in those odds behind the winner, of course, and USC. All that does, though, is make their upcoming games against the Trojans that much more important. Both these teams have to play USC later. We got the mini round robin out there in the Pac-12. I can't wait for it. Bottom line, I have this game as a pick 'em, 52% win expectancy for Oregon. But in my gut, I kind of think Washington might might be in the better spot here. That's K Ford, the ratings versus Kelly Ford, the person. We'll see how it all plays out. But it should be a fantastic game either way. Can I ask you to to project or it? I guess take take a guess here. You currently have Oklahoma, your number one and most deserving rankings, followed by Florida State, Ohio State, Texas. Washington, you said, is at 10. Oregon is at 12. Do we see a new number one from the winner of this game? Do you think? I don't think so, Brett. So I'm going to put out later this week, and I haven't run it yet, basically the like who can improve their resume the most. I started doing that last week, and I really like it. It's a top 20 teams of, hey, with a win, they would improve their resume the most give, given the opponent they're beating, the location, the difficulty, all of that. When I look at the most deserving rankings, I look at the gap that we have right now from Washington at 10, Oregon at 12, and Oregon would get more credit in the – and, and the resume boost than Washington would because these teams are so similar in the power rating and because Oregon's on the road, Oregon has a lower – the average top 25 team would have a lower win expectancy in Oregon's shoes at Washington than in Washington's shoes playing at home to Oregon. So that's kind of – some people don't can't, can't understand that, and, and I get it. It's a little bit uh, tricky, but the two teams going into the game, they don't have an equal opportunity to build their resume. For Ohio State and Purdue, a game we talked about earlier – Purdue's going to get much more credit for beating Ohio State, even at home, than Ohio State would get for beating Purdue on the road because of where those teams are power rated. To answer your question, I haven't run it yet. I don't believe Washington or Oregon could make the jump all the way up to number one. Uh, Oklahoma and Florida State have done a really good job building resumes to this point as, at one and, at number one and two. But the winner here absolutely jumps up into the top five. Maybe they even get into the number four spot there potentially. So uh, there's a lot on the line for both these teams. And the good news for them both, it's not a, it's not over after this week. Win or lose, you still got more opportunities because the Pac-12, the USC game, and others, you got opportunities to build your resume in the Pac-12 this year, which maybe we haven't had in years past. For pac 12 sake, they're hoping they don't cannibalize each other as they always have. They're hoping someone can kind of run the table and, and really be that team. This week is the first domino for that. Yeah, I, th- I think Washington wins this game, again, at home. Uh, one of the better environments in college football. That's a big, big, big step up. Uh, you know, this isn't like last week where Red River's in a familiar neutral sider. This one's at at Washington, so I, th- I think I'm going to take them to win the game. Uh, just looking at, like, proper betting mechanics, though. Uh, plus three is the correct side if you're looking for Oregon, and, and minus two and a half is the correct side for Washington if you're looking about the Huskies there. Uh, so just opportunity. They, w- whatever you're looking to bet here, uh, I would say it's all opportunity-based. Moving forward to uh, America's Conference, or America's Division, I should say, the Big Ten West. We have Iowa on the road at Wisconsin. The Badgers are 10-point home favorites, and this game carries a lovely over-under of 36 points. Kicks off at 4 p.m. Eastern on Fox. I love this. It's a battle for the Heartland Trophy. So I was actually at this game last year, at Kinnick. 
It was it was a snow globe. It was great. We did the wave to the, the the children's hospital. One of the better experiences I've ever had at a college football game. Shout out Iowa City. Iowa won the game, and as they did, they sprinted as a team over, picked up the Heartland Trophy, and marched it straight to the locker room. No fanfare, no handshakes, no hugs. It was hilarious. They just took it and marched off that field, and the football game was over. It was outstanding. This game is supposed to be windy. We're talking 16, 17 plus sustained winds, higher gusts, of course. Keep that in mind. I don't know how much it's really affecting these two offenses, though, to be honest, since they like to keep it on the ground. Look, it's that time of week where we have to talk about the Iowa offense. As much as I don't want to, we're just going to have to. Uh, they're last in early down EPA. Again, shout out Parker Fummy Stats War on Twitter for that one. They're the third worst in late down success rate. Shocker. They're just bad all the way around. Deacon Hill is now the quarterback for Cade McNamara, but this is the same offense. They didn't make any adjustments at all, despite having a new quarterback with a different skill set. Um, Brian Ferentz, nice job. He's uh, Deacon Hill is a four-star out of high school. He was actually originally a Wisconsin Badger, believe it or not. He's a Wisconsin transfer. Let's keep that in mind. Maybe just a little bit of uh, extra motivation for him there. But I don't know how much he can do because 25% of his passes to wide receivers have been dropped. That is the most nationally among quarterbacks with at least 50 passing attempts. They're, uh, Wisconsin, the other side, the preseason starting center, Jake Renfro. He's actually close to returning. I don't know if he could return this week, but his replacement, Tanner Bordellini, has been the weakest graded starter on that offensive line. So they desperately, desperately want Jake Renfro back in that uh, system. And speaking of systems, the Phil Longo system, it's been still taking a minute to get going. I know fans are excited about the Badgers wide receiver core coming in. I, I haven't been that impressed with them. I don't think they've done a whole lot. Uh, but they are third in rushing success rate, which is not surprising. They're facing lighter boxes, and they have Braylon Allen, one of the better running backs in the country. And I was actually giving up yards on the ground. You usually think of them as being absolutely nails against a ground game, but right now they're absolutely nails against a pass game, and Wisconsin excels in the run game. Uh, you, you look at the past couple of games, Devin Mockaby from Purdue, Nathan Carter, Michigan State, they both found success in the last two games. So I don't know that's impossible to be rushing uh, on this team here. I think that's the way Wisconsin goes. Yeah, Brett, uh, for me, this game, simply put, the Big Ten West is on the line in Madison. It's got a watchability score of 8.3. It's a top 10 game of the week. I'm excited about it, too. I love this rivalry aspect. I know people like to dog on the Big Ten West and on, on these offenses, but the defenses are phenomenal. Um, Iowa has the better resume of these two teams, but my numbers have Wisconsin minus 7.5 in this one. It's a 70% win expectancy. With all the turnover that Wisconsin had on the roster and the coaching staff, I was concerned about the model's ability this past summer to accurately project the Badgers, but after six weeks, it turns out my concerns really weren't weren't founded in anything. Wisconsin's overall power rating rank of number 23, their offensive rank of number 44, and their defensive rank of number 14 are all within four spots of where we started in August. The Badgers boast the best offense in the division, the second best defense, Plus, this game is at home, as you mentioned. So for Iowa, how many times can we say the same thing? A phenomenal defense with a horrible offense. They're currently ranked number two. Uh, this defense hasn't been lower than number three nationally all year. The offense, on the other hand, they entered the year number 86. They rose to 83 going into the game at Penn State. Of course, they got shut out in that one. They've now fallen to a season low, number 122. Oh, that's my a bottom, God. It's a bottom 12 FBS-level offense. Like, it's such a shame for this Iowa team, for their fans, for everybody involved that the offense has been so dreadful for so long. Even still, though, Brett, the Hawkeyes have a chance to make it to Indianapolis. My numbers favor them in each of their remaining games after this week, but they really need to get this win so that they're not behind in the tiebreaker to Wisconsin. The winner of this game will be the favorite to win the West. If it's Wisconsin, uh, the race is close to over. The Badgers would have an 81% chance compared to just an 18% chance to Iowa if they lose this one and then are behind on the tiebreaker. For Iowa, if they win, they become the favorite at 55%. But Wisconsin, with that loss, they wouldn't be out of it. There'd be a 44% chance that they recover and win the division. Bottom line, I have Wisconsin minus seven and a half. It's a 30% win expectancy for Iowa. Um, it's going to be tough for them to come out of Madison with that upset victory. Uh, system play, I bet under the total. I, I learned my lesson <laughs> against Penn State. I, I took under 36 and a half. Uh, time recording, I see 136 and a half floating around there. 36 you could take. I don't care that it's been bet down. Uh, under is my play here. I was, look, they're just not coming out of their basement. They're never going to. I'm fascinated to see if there's actual ramifications if Brian Ferentz doesn't hit his contractual requirements, which he is not on pace to do. Like, really not. And they, they've got some good defenses upcoming. I'm interested to see if they actually do something or if they just 
kick the can down the road until Kirk himself is out. Um, I think the, com- uh, the combination of expected wind and rain, which could change, but, you know, they're expecting it, uh, complete and utter ineptitude on off, uh, Iowa's offense, and two decent defenses, I'm pretty confident about that. I like it. Under 36.5 is my play for this one. Okay, from one uh, marquee game a couple of times ago to, to this one, number 10 USC on the road at number 21 Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish are uh, two-and-a-half point home favorites in this game, carries an over-under of 62-and-a-half, uh, almost doubling up our previous game that we just talked about. It kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern primetime on NBC. It's forecasted to be pretty breezy, maybe some potential rain. I do think that does help out Notre Dame just a little bit. Um, USC, they have some injury issues. Cornerback Damani uh, Jackson missed last week. They, they really need him in there. Zachariah Branch is progressing, but he's also missed the last two games. He's been phenomenal, particularly in the special teams game. I know we've talked about Notre Dame four weeks in a row, but I have a bet on this game, so that's why I put him in here. And that bet being USC plus points. I, I would actually take them outright. My biggest question here is what kind of gas does Notre Dame have left in the tank? And honestly, Jack Swarbrick, what were we doing with this schedule? London game, then Ohio State at Duke, at Louisville, USC. They're all in a row. There's no bye there. And you could see it when they played Louisville. This team was gassed, absolutely gassed. Louisville's defensive front controlled the line of scrimmage that entire game. And I don't think that's because they don't have the talent or ability. They're a very good offensive line. Joe Alta, probably top 10 NFL draft pick and All-American. It's just because they're out of gas. They don't have any legs. They're tired. I get it. I'd be tired too. Everyone would be. I worry about that against USC's front. I I know it's not great, but they've got athletes up there. Barry Alexander, how are you going to handle that? And for looking at Brian Fromo's numbers, each of the last five national champions had a plus two net point per drive at year's end. Uh, He tweeted that out. If you want a better clarification of that, that's through there. Through six weeks, eight teams have that, and USC's still in the group, guys. I know we tried to throw them out last couple of times when they're not soundly dominating their lesser opponents, but I think that's because they're just not taking them seriously. It looks like they're playing backyard football. Caleb Boone's like, watch watch this next TikTok highlight I can do, and it works most of the time when he gets out of the pocket. His arm talent is ridiculous. Uh, USC's turnover margin has also certainly regressed to the mean this year. Thank God we are talking about plus 22 at the end of the year last year. Absolutely unsustainable, and it was unsustainable because they've come crashing back down to earth. Notre Dame, though, on the other hand, they've actually had some really bad turnover luck. Four dropped interceptions. They're 115th in their own fumble recovery rate, 116th in opposing fumble recovery rate. So how are their opponents picking them up? Uh, Now, yes, USC's defense is a major issue. No dancing around that. I don't need to list numbers to you. You know it's bad. That does open the door for big plays from Roger Estime, Mitchell Evans, Sam Hartman. But can they keep up that pace? They're 93rd in seconds per play this year. And again, how much gas is in the tank? Is the light on? I don't know. Yeah, Brett, what a difference a week makes. Less than seven days ago, Notre Dame, USC, both AP top 10 teams on a collision course in South Bend. Then the Irish get run off the field in the second half at Louisville. USC needs three overtimes to beat a middling Arizona team in the Coliseum. Despite the poor performances a week ago, these teams are still ranked in my most deserving metric. USC is number 15, Notre Dame's number 22. And with a watchability score of 9.4, this is still the second best game of the week for me. So it's lost some luster based on the performances last week, but it's still a really, really big time game. I'm excited for it. Right off the top, you touched on it too, Brett, and I think it is the story. We need to mention that this is the eighth game in eight weeks for Notre Dame. It included that trip to, to Ireland. The Irish are coming off consecutive oh, road I said trips London, to- Ireland. My fault. Either way, Dublin, <laughs> London, it doesn't matter. They were over the pond, across the pond. They're playing in Europe. Um, that's a tough way to start the year, and you haven't had a bye, as you said. Eight games in eight weeks. Two most recent, you were on the road in both of them. You were down at Duke and Louisville. I know Louisville's not far, but still, you're away from home. It's just a brutal schedule to this point. Notre Dame's been power-rated between number 10 and number 13 for me all year. Currently at number 13, the Irish have fallen to number 17 offense and number 12 defense. Uh, My numbers favor the Irish in every remaining regular season game, though. And it's a 23% chance that Notre Dame finishes the regular season at 10 and 2. With their CFP hopes all but gone at this point, what better way to pull themselves back up, Brett, than by dealing a huge blow to the playoff chances of one of your chief rivals? Uh, For those that have seen Breaking Bad, there's a gif of Jesse just like screaming kind of up into the air, really at no one in particular. He just he can't keep getting away with it, talking about <laughs> Walter White. This is exactly how I felt when I've watched USC almost every single week for the past two years. Like from the turnover luck in 22, you mentioned that's corrected itself to the close calls already this year against subpar competition. You say, hey, they're not interested. I get it. 
This defense cannot keep getting away with it, Brett. Like, during the Iowa-Wisconsin preview, I asked how many times can we say the same thing about Iowa. Same thing with USC, but just pull a 180 on the sides of the ball here. The Trojan offense is amazing. The defense is not. Offense has been number one for me since week two. Uh, they topped out at number four in, overall in the power ratings going into week four, but the Trojans have now fallen to a season low number 14. That's because this defense. I have this defense ranked number 63 in my unit power ratings. At some point, it's going to cost the Trojans. It very well might be this weekend in South Bend. Bottom line, I have Notre Dame minus two and a half. It's a 43% chance that USC moves to 7-0 and on the year. I, I think what I'm looking for is can Notre Dame gets Caleb Williams and limit the amount of highlight reel throws he makes. Uh, he's been an absolute killer outside the pocket, improvising, looks like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, look, he's only been sacked twice. Uh, last or la- I'm sorry, last season Notre Dame only sacked him twice. Can they get to him a little bit more this year? Uh, to be honest, I'm taking USC in this one. I think they win the game outright. I just don't see the legs uh, with, with Notre Dame here. All right, our last game on the docket. We're running a little long, so I think we're going to forego our FCS game this week. That's okay. No big deal. We have number 25 Miami on the road at number 12 North Carolina. The Tar Heels are three-and-a-half point home favorites in this game. Carries an over-under 57 points. Kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. There is rain in the forecast. Not much wind. Thank God, like all the other games this week, dealing with that big cold front moving through. There's also been nine outright upsets in this game since 2004. Not a lot of huge point spreads, but the underdog has had a lot of success outright in this. This might be too speculative, and, and look, I don't have an answer to this. And, and maybe people that are looking for you know just model-based stuff, close your ears, whatever. I, I'm going to speculate a little bit. I want to see how Miami responds after that Georgia Tech game. If you're a player, do you have any faith left in that staff to put you in a situation to win? Seriously, I, I think it upsets the, the, or offsets the A&M victory. I really do that. Like it's, that goes brutal, beyond Brett. just that play. Just brutal. Yeah, lost him a game. Um, yeah, ridiculous. Tyler Van Dyke played poorly in that game too. He had a uh, touchdown to three interceptions. Xavier Restrepo, absolute killer. He's second in the nation in yards per route run. He's the Miami wide receiver. He's their go-to absolute dominator. Uh, anyway, I, I don't think we've been talking about North Carolina enough this year. I don't know that we've talked about them since week one. They're 14th in nets point per, or net points per drive. A pretty balanced attack, too. 52% rush rate. They're 5-0, and and they haven't had any like real punching bags on their schedule. It's been not great, but it hasn't been uh, you know just a bunch of FCS teams and, and MAC teams. So they shellacked Syracuse last week, too. Like, dominating win over them. And, and those dominant wins over lesser opponents, it's not worth nothing. Uh, especially conference opponents like Syracuse that have been frisky. 40-7, to man. That wasn't even a ball. That, that thing was over before it started. Uh, Drake May, he's not putting up the gaudy numbers of last year, but he's been just as good, I think. Their offensive line does have to hold up, though, against the Miami pass rush that's been inconsistent, but at their best, very good. They got big-time pressure on Wegman against A&M, but they are just 106th in sack rate on the year. Just kneel, Miami. That's all you had to do to win last week against Georgia Tech. Brett, it was truly astonishing. Made worse only by the fact that Cristobal did this in 2018. I, I had completely forgotten uh, at game at Stanford when he was at Oregon, I genuinely do not understand what the thinking is there. I mean, this is like NCAA football 14-101. You just kneel, and it's over. You yeah. win. To yeah. answer the question, Brett, that you asked, it has to be so hard to come back from that and refocus as a player, as a coach, as a fan. I mean, gosh, dude, undefeated season, just gone because you didn't kneel like that. That's just a lot to handle. Um, refocus, though. They, they have to do it because this game at North Carolina, it might be Miami's toughest to date. Uh, and they, they're talking about a game you've already played, A&M. Uh, this could be a harder game for them. With a watchability score of 9.1, it's my number four game of the week. At 5-0, and oh, the Tar Heels are number seven in my most deserving rankings, number nine on my overachievers list, and squarely in the mix still for a spot in the CFP. Florida State, obviously the favorite out of the ACC for that, but... North Carolina is still right there. I have UNC minus five and a half in this one. It's a 65% win expectancy. Power rated number 17 with the number 11 offense and number 41 defense. This could be the best team we've seen in Chapel Hill since about 2015 by my historical numbers. With Drake May at quarterback, this is the best offense in the ACC. Um, But at number 13 nationally, Miami has the second best defense in the conference. So the defense for Miami is still really, really good. Despite last week's gaffe, Miami 
has been upgraded nearly five and a half points in the power rating since the preseason, and they're still a top twenty team from a predictive standpoint. You're saying throw the model out. Get it. I, I I get it. Yeah, I, I'm tempted to too. Well, don't throw it out to, completely. No, no, no. But you mean for the purposes of this game? Like, sure. I, yes. How do you adjust the model for the psyche of what happened? You can't. You don't. From a purely model standpoint, this is still a good team. But they have some baggage this week that we don't normally see. People have to understand that, and I think they do. With games upcoming against Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, this it feels like a game that Miami really needs to win if they want to keep any hope of making it to Charlotte. They only have one conference loss, but it's just such a killer. They're 0-1 in conference play now. With a win, North Carolina's chances to make the ACC championship game improve to 56%, while a loss drops them to just 25%. Bottom line, I have North Carolina minus 5.5. It's a 35% win expectancy for Miami, uh, and then they get on off the mark here in conference play with their first win of the year. I know when you deal with uh, you know, a, a lot of people that, that bet college football and anything in general, I know that they don't like to look – Subjectively, I know that taking into account outside noise is noise to the model, and it's you know it just folks on the model. Guys, there were they showed that kid sitting on the sidelines and said, "What are we effing doing?" Like these are eighteen to twenty-two year old kids. If you think that they're just going to let that, they're not pros. If you think they're just going to let that go and, and move forward in this week Yikes. without it on their mind, you're you're wrong. That I I'm not saying that that's enough for them to get blown out by North Carolina. I'm not saying that that's a reason to even lay the points with North Carolina, but. Boy, I, I'd, I'd have a hard time believing that they're going to be my, the Miami Hurricanes we saw against Texas A&M. I, I just don't. Um, ah, let's sneak it in. We got time. FCS game. Let's do it. Let's do it. Number 16, Montana. Number 3, Idaho that kicks off late at 10.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Kelly, we can watch this game. Not on ESPN+. Plus. It will be on our national networks. It's also played in the vaunted Kibbe Dome. Nobody just walks in there and expects to win a football game, especially not during Idaho's homecoming. Look, Montana won last week outright as six-and-a-half-point underdogs to UC Davis. Uh, they're starting to be a fade team for me, though. I don't know if they're really that good. Idaho's just been dominating competition. Bring them back up to the FBS. Let's do it. We, we can If we're bringing Kennesaw State in, we can bring Idaho in. I don't love what I've seen from Montana so far. I think this is all Idaho, to be honest. Anything under, let's say, like, minus 10, I'll probably take the Vandals. Brett, uh, this is not the first time I've talked about the Kibbe Dome. I abs- this, this year, I absolutely love your love for the FCS. I created the FCS light model so I could improve my resume rankings and projections for FBS teams that play FCS. But your love for it is just out of this world. Um, <laughs> hey, they did. You talked about let's bring them back to the FBS. They did recently pass some legislation at the national level um, where transitioning members from FCS to FBS moving forward now have to pay significantly more money. I yeah, think it's five, previous, five million, isn't it? Yeah, the previous yeah. fee I think was in the hundreds of thousands. It is now up to five million. So that yeah, is just something back. to keep. That's something to keep an <laughs> eye on as teams consider making that transition. They've raised the threshold uh, significantly. For me and the FCS light model, I have Idaho power rated number eight, and I have the Vandals minus three and a half here projected against what I have as number 15 power rated Montana. Well, I hope that's the number that comes out because I'd absolutely lay with Idaho. Give, give, give me that. Anything dealt at single digits is all Idaho for me. All right, let's wrap this up. Hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates on our college football channel. Join a sharp and active community as we wallowed in misery over uh, Appalachian State not covering the points and losing outright to Coastal Carolina on Tuesday night. And don't forget to subscribe to Aligns YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long. Subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice and drop us a good review. If you like the show, drop your liens and bets and our agreements or disagreements with us in the comments down below on YouTube. Kelly, before I actually close up shop, please let everybody know where they can find your work. You can find me on X at KFord Ratings. You can find the website KFordRatings.com. And you can find me over at TheLines.com writing a couple articles per week. Really enjoy being part of the team with you, Brett, over at TheLines.com. Well, we love having you. It's been some great stuff, especially the watchability ratings. I love looking at those every single week. But thank you so much, as always, for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford. We'll see you all next time.